So we've got some uh, great things to discuss tonight. Uh, we've got Trey Stogsdell. I mentioned his videos in our last couple of meetings. And so I just reached out to him. Like he said, he had his email on there on the end of his, um, on his end of his video presentation. And I did just what he said, reached out to him and he was very gracious to be able to help us moderate tonight's meeting and tell us a little bit some, about some things that he's learned about attention. So Trey Stogsdale has been a diagnostician at Fairbanks ISD for the last 10 years and in education for several years before that. He's assigned to an elementary school for four days a week and he mentors another new diagnostician one day a week. And I would describe him as a self-taught scholar and a lifelong learner of psychoeducational psycho assessments. And he's made some YouTube videos that um, have been getting some attention. I saw he's got about a thousand views. So uh, just spread the word, start, you know, to people, because I think he does a great job. He's done all the work. He's gone in and taken those books that we, none of us have time to read. And he's made great summaries for us. Um, and so uh, he also says that he his latest self-taught journey has been with attention executive functioning. And he has a lot to share. I think um, it'll make for some great conversation. And he's just going to share a little bit about that journey. And uh, we're going, and then after he shares about the journey for a little bit, then we'll start opening the stage for discussion. Uh, just some uh, disclaimers and reminders for everybody. First of all, we are all diagnosticians, most of us in Texas. So if you're not a diagnostician, this, this room probably won't apply to you if you're passing by. This room also has the replays feature on. That is a new feature in Clubhouse. So if you are joining and you um, and you want to hear what you heard already, again, as long as you're in the room, it will record the room for you um, to listen to the replay after you're done. You will go to the compass icon in the upper left-hand corner of the app and then to the replay icon, which looks like headphones with two arrows going around, um, in the upper right um, to find a recording of anything that you've listened to uh, in case you got a little distracted and weren't paying attention. All right, so um, another couple of other reminders. I will need, uh, just something has come up for me and I will need to be dropping out of the room a little early because um, of that. But I have some um, great people in the room to help me. Um, and just with moderating, Candace is going to help me. Denise has also offered to help me just manage the room, help um, bring people up on stage after I've left, if you raise your hand. Uh, just some reminders to be polite. Uh, everyone, if you do come to the stage, be respectful by muting your mic when you are not talking, flashing your mic quickly if you hear something you like, and flashing your mic very slowly to show that you want to speak. And if there are several people who want to speak, which doesn't look like this is a big room, so that might not be, um, there's something called PTR. PTR means pull down to refresh. So if you, few people want to speak at one time, you pull down to refresh so everybody sees everybody in the same order. And then you go in the order of the people that are on the stage. So that's that's about it for all of the reminders. Welcome everyone again. And um, I'll let... Trey, go ahead and get started. Go ahead, Trey. Hi, Nazi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. 
Oh, great. Okay. Well, hi, everybody. Um, my name's Trey Stogsdale, and um, I'm an educational diagnostician just like all of y'all, and um, I'm going to work tomorrow, too, just like everybody else, and um, I've got three kids I got to test and stuff, so I'm in the trenches with everybody as well. Um, I don't know how everybody's managing this year. Um, I, in some respects, I think it's worse than last year. I don't know about y'all, but because, you know, I have like maybe 15 kids to try to finish testing before Christmas break. Um, but the reason why I think Nazi wanted me to speak was because I, I've put out a couple of YouTube videos. So, and actually she said that they had a thousand views or something like that. And I had no idea. I haven't even checked on them in months and months. So the last time I checked, they only had like 400 views. So I guess people are watching them. That's pretty cool. Um, but as far as attention is concerned, I, um, I was on a, a personal journey as a diagnostician to better myself because when you go through your programs in college and stuff, they don't really, they don't really, let's face it. They don't really prepare you for the job. Um, you kind of have to, you, you either have a mentor, um, or, you know, you learn by, uh, making a lot of mistakes and, and stuff like that. So, um, I started teaching myself and I started learning. Um, I just finished, uh, about, a year and a half of learning about the science of reading because I wanted to know about dyslexia. I wanted to know how reading uh, affects, uh, you know, how it develops in the brain and, and all of that kind of stuff and where it can go wrong and, and how to make good recommendations and all that. So I've kind of gone through that journey. I feel like I'm in a good place with that. So then I switched, pardon the pun, my attention <laughs> to attention um, because I don't know about you guys, but I test a lot of kids that are referred for specific learning disability, but they're like, their attention is terrible. You know, like I pull them into the room and, oh my gosh, you're like under my table. They're squirming out of their chair. They're, or, or the opposite. They're like, they're complete zombies, you know, and they're just, you know, barely there. I think they barely even know they're at school. And you know, that affects my cognitive testing. And I'm kind of mad about that. You know, um, um, I just tested a, a young, a young girl, a second grader, not too long ago this year. Um, and her full scale came out to be a 66, but I know she's not that low. Um, you know, I, I had to do adaptive behavior just, just to explore that, but all the adaptive behavior was fine. And, you know, I go observe her. She's functioning in class and all. I'm like, why am I getting these scores on these tests? Um, she wasn't, you know, like she wasn't hyperactive. She wasn't, you know, um, she wasn't fidgety. Uh, she was just seemed more a lot of like, uh, when can we go? Are we done yet? Kind of behavior, just kind of sat there compliant. So I was like, what is going on? And and I've, I've had that a lot, you know, and... I've had to DNQ a lot of kids because, you know, in, in the district that I'm in, we use the, um, you know, the, the DDC model or cross battery, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know a lot of districts use CSEP and different, different models, but we use the cross battery. So, you know, if you don't get that, that yes, yes, yes on the triangle. And of course I know about the new rules and all that. I'm working through that just like everybody else, but, um, you know, if you didn't get the triangle and the discrepancies and all of that kind of stuff, you DNQ'd. And so I was getting these kids that had too many cognitive deficits on my tests. And I was having to DNQ them because 
they, uh, they, they just didn't meet the criteria for LD. And having to explain that to a parent, um, I'm, I can't help your child. I can't put them in special ed because they're too low. You know, I, that's a hard conversation. So I decided to do something about it. So I've been looking into other reasons why I'm finding these things. And the other thing too is, have you ever tested a child that has no cognitive deficits at all on your test, yet they struggle everywhere in school, right? Um, you know, so you can get the opposite. And, you know, I, I'm like, well, they, they, DNQ, they didn't have any cognitive deficits, you know, and, and they're like, what, how? Well, I, I started looking into it and I found out, you know what, it's probably because of executive functioning. And, and I, or actually somebody said that to me. Um, it was another diagnostician that I was talking to and she says, you know, have you ever thought about executive functioning? And I said, well, you know, in your programs, you don't learn about executive. Nobody talks about that. That's an LSSP. That's a psychologist realm is executive functioning. And that's a load of hogwash. Let's put it that way uh, to put it nicely. Um, it's, it's a cognitive process. It's, it's part of the brain. And, you know, as diagnosticians, we're, in my opinion, we are tasked to find out, we are tasked to diagnose why a child is struggling in school, not just if they meet criteria for LD based on, you know, CSEP or DDC or whatever it is you're using. I, my, I feel like my job is to give the school and the parents an answer, okay? And I think one of the things that is neglected in our field is executive functioning because executive functioning, there's been a lot of studies on it. It's in fact, it's probably more studied than, in fact, I know it's more studied than uh, the cognitive processes that we test every day. Um, and it is the number one most predicted, you know, a predictive um, set of cognitive processes for school success more so than some of the other things like uh, GC and GF and all those things. Um, there are kids out there that have not great IQs. You know, they're they're shady 80s, whatever you want to call them, but they're, they're doing it, they're killing it because they have great executive functioning. If you have great working memory, you can go a long way in this world, you know? Um, and so I just started getting into that and I'm on that journey right now, I'm going down that road. I'm not an expert in this. Um, you know, I'm just learning it like everybody else. But what I did find was, um, you know, well, one of the things that Nazi just told me earlier today was um, something that the WJ uh, score program has, you know, there's that resource tab. Uh, and you go down, she said that, you know, look at number nine on the resource tab, and it talks about executive functioning and, and stuff. And I looked at it. And I, I said, do you realize that 15 out of the 18 tests on the WJ COG rely on executive functioning. And I, I thought about that for a minute and I thought, you know what, maybe that's why we're getting kids who have low scores all the time, who are struggling, don't, don't qualify LD, because so many of our tests re rely or, or you need executive functioning skills to even do the test, to do the tasks, right? Um, you know, a test of GF does not measure only GF. It measures GF, but it also takes a lot of other things that go along with it. If you think about GC, GC requires retrieval. You have to retrieve the words to answer the question. Uh, GF requires working memory. You have to look at, you have to look at a, um, a set of, of, you know, pictures or whatever, and you have to use your working memory to try and figure out an answer. 
uh, and, and your attention and focus. Uh, processing speed. Oh my gosh, how much focus does it take to do a processing speed test? Um, you know, I it, it's just amazing how much executive functioning really is kind of like the the untalked about or the unknown ingredient in this cake of cognition, right? And I think as diagnosticians, and the, the one thing I want y'all to take away tonight is to maybe think about going down that road with me and, and with other diagnosticians that I, I'm trying to get the word out that maybe we need to be looking at this more. We need to be aware of it. We need to educate ourselves as to how all of these executive functioning skills are affecting our tests, affecting kids. And so what I did was I, um, over the past couple months, I've been working on a little tool that I've, it's a rating scale and it's an, an informal rating scale. It's not standardized or, you know, there's not, it's, it's totally informal. Um, and I, I did email it to Nazi. So if she wants to post it, I don't know, to the, to the page or whatever people, you know, y'all are free to use whatever, uh, I put out there. Um, but it's, it's a rating skill that goes through the different executive functioning skills, like, you know, working memory, retrieval, planning, shifting, you know, shifting is a big one. You know, that's why kids can't transition. You know, they're, they're always saying, oh, well, he's so smart, but he can't move from one activity to the other. That's shifting. That's an executive functioning. A lot of kids with autism have problems shifting from one task to another. Um, and, and, you know, all of these things are just very embedded in our cognitive assessments and our daily lives. And I think we need to start talking about them in our evaluations because they do we do need to make some recommendations. If you find that a child has poor uh, planning or poor working memory or poor shifting or poor uh, inhibition, you know, impulsivity and all that, there are there's lots of resources out there, folks. Um, lots of books, lots of articles um, on how to make recommendations for that. And so I created this, this little um, informal checklist or rating rating scale, whatever you want to call it, for teachers, parents, anybody who wants to fill it out, um, to give you as a diagnostician kind of some idea. Do you see a pattern in the, you know, are, are people, you know, um, uh, one, one teacher, she marked all, um, you know, uh, th there was one about working memory and, and all the effects of working uh, kids in school. And it says, um, do you not observe it? Like, are you not sure? There's a column for not sure. There's a column for like, um, rarely uh and then often unusual kind of thing and she marked like rarely on all of the working memory stuff as being that there's no problem with working me right and but on my working memory tests i gave her several tests you know from whisk and all of that all very low like in the 50s and 60s and i'm like how there's a discrepancy there and i talked to the teacher about what working memory was and all and she's like oh my gosh yes let me tell you and so um, you know, she went back and thought about the, what she had put on that thing. And it, it just starts that conversation about what else could be going on with the student. Another application that I've used it for is when I do get, uh, for example, this, this student, the girl that I was talking about earlier, a little second grader, she came out, like I said, with it, with a full skill of 66 IQ and people wanted to me to label her as, uh, with an intellectual disability. 
And because she is struggling in school in all areas. And, and I'm like, mm, and I, you know, you have that gut feeling. If you've been to diet for a while, you have a gut feeling that ID is not right, you know? And so I gave him this checklist and lo and behold, she had so many often unusuallys in all of these executive functioning areas. And I thought, could this child be suffering from what I call, and I don't want this to sound odd, but I, what I call girl ADHD. And, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of research out there that says that girls are under-identified with, with ADHD, mostly inattentive type. Their boys are the ones who are more hyperactive and stuff. So they get the attention, right? They, they get the, uh, the referrals. And girls, people tend to think it's LD and not ADHD. Girls tend to be more um, uh, withdrawn and, and uh, they might sleep in class or they're, they seem very shy, reticent, uh, that type of thing. Um, and so they just present a little different um, as far as ADHD is concerned. And so I went to, uh, I had the mom fill that out too. And she was, and when I wrote up the report, I recommended I had to DNQ her because she didn't meet criteria for ID or LD. Um, I said, let's look at ADHD. And so that's what we're doing. We re-referred, she's going to the doctor, you know, hopefully with, with my evaluation and, you know, cause I talked about in re, in that report, all these executive functioning things I'm seeing, hopefully that will change. And you know, what started me off on all this besides all the testing was, uh, the definition of LD. You know, if you, you know, as, as diagnosticians, you probably have it memorized. You know, it's a deficit in one or more psychological processes that da 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 da, and it manifests itself in reading and writing and math and all that stuff. And one of the things in that definition, it says uh, SLD includes the terms. And one of them is like dyslexia, one of them is uh, brain injury. But there's one called minimal brain dysfunction. And I thought, what? the heck is minimal brain dysfunction? You know, what does that mean? Um, and so I, I looked it up and you guys like, oh my gosh. So if you don't know, um, you're about to know, but if you don't know the definite, where did the definition of LD come from? I'm like, who wrote this? You know, like, uh, where did this come from? Well, it came from a guy. It came from a man, a psychologist named Samuel Kirk. He wrote the definition in the early 1960s. Um, and he, uh, went around, you know, saying, this is my definition and here's why I think it's the definition. And then in 1968, all of these parents that were concerned with their kids struggling in school and not understanding why, um, they, they met all in Chicago at this conference and he headed up this conference and, and from there they, they created the, um, uh, these organization, there's a national organization of learning disabilities and blah, 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 blah. And they wrote that definition and they came up with that definition. And all of those weird terms are in that definition because that's what they used to call LD. They didn't have a name LD. LD wasn't, LD specific learning disability and learning disabilities was not a term used in the psychology world until the 60s. So before that, you know, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, all that, they called it other things brain injury, minimal brain dysfunction, developmental aphasia, all of those words that are in that definition, um, that's what they call it. And that's why those words are in there because in the 60s, kids were coming to school with those diagnoses and they wanted to make sure that, um, you know, in, in the school system, if they had that diagnosis, that now it needs to be called specific learning disability. And so that's where all that came from. Um, 
but basically, if you look up in the past what a minimal brain dysfunction is, it was what we would now know as ADHD plus LD together. Um, and, and I thought that was interesting because a long time ago, they didn't really distinguish between ADHD and LD. Um, it was the same thing. It was this rather smart, intelligent young man who struggled, or, or girl struggling in school, and you couldn't figure out why. Um, they called it minimal brain dysfunction. And I think it's, it's interesting today that we try to separate out SLD and OHI for ADHD. We try to exclude, e you know, each other, um, even though ADHD is not an exclusionary factor. In the law, ADHD is not in there. Um, and I don't know why people think it is, but it's not. And I want us to uh, know that uh, ADHD, which is mostly a deficit in executive functioning, okay, um, affects cognition. It affects how kids do on our tests. And to me, I separate it out like this. If a student is um, struggling in school and they have a cognitive, it's due to cognition, um, and there's no other real good explanation like absences or, you know, whatever, um, they're LD and something. And then if you add on the inattention, the, the you know, poor working memory, poor shifting, poor, um, you know, impulsivity control and all these other executive functioning, then they should be labeled ADHD as well. They ADHD and LD should probably be going together a lot more than they are. And I think there are a lot of kids who are misdiagnosed LD when it's really ADHD and vice versa. And I also think that, um, that um, we, you know, um, the, the research says that about half of the kids with ADHD also have other things going on, okay? And things like um, learning disabilities is about 50, Tourette syndrome, 11%, and uh, anxiety, 34%. Um, oppositional defiant disorder, oh my gosh, we deal with that a lot, 40%. Conduct disorder, 14%. So kids with ADHD have all of the, they're like an onion, right? They've got all these layers. But we as diagnosticians try to exclude kids from things, you know, like, oh, he's not LD because he's, you know, got this other thing going on here. I, you know, it doesn't really matter. Labels are, to me, in my opinion, you want to give a good diagnosis, but you're not, as a diagnostician, going to be able to parcel out attention, executive functioning from, from, a, from a specific learning disability to the point where you could prove it in court. You're just not going to, there's no test that you could give that separates those things out. It's all about taking a 10,000 foot view of the child, right? Looking at the child as a whole. Um, and that's why my, my, um, my message to you guys that are listening is let's start having these conversations about executive functioning and how they are impacting these kids. Um, and how, and, and no, as a diagnostician that yes, I'm going to DNQ a child for LD because they don't have any strengths as far as cognitive assessment is going for them. However, that's not, that should not be the end of their story. If you looked at, into their executive functioning, maybe you found that they have a lot of issues with that. And maybe we should be re-referring re for ADHD when no one else thought that, right? Nobody else was thinking that because they're not crawling under the tables and they're not throwing pencils across the room and they're not getting into fights. You know, 
kids with ADHD, my son has ADHD. He doesn't do any of that. He sleeps in class and he gets in trouble because he sleeps in class, but that's because he can't sleep at night. And he has, he has ADHD to the point where I'm, you know, we're now putting him on medication. So I, I want people, you know, ADHD is not just about hyperactivity. There's a lot of other things. There's a whole big uh, picture to, to a kid with ADHD. And I think that we miss it. And I think that we DNQ kids when they really should be uh, looked at in other areas. And I think the only way to tell that is if you write about it in your report, if you look into it, if you explore it and say, look, I found this, you know, uh, yes, he, he has, you know, my tests show that he had deficits in four or five out of this seven or eight areas, depending on how many areas you test. And I can't qualify him for LD, but guess what? Um, oh my gosh, he has very poor planning. He has very poor uh, retrieval. He has very poor, um, you know, he can't shift from one thing to the other. He, you know, all of these things, and my checklist kind of helps you through that. Um, and, you know, things that you can say in a report. Um, maybe one of my recommendations is to look into this. You know, I'm not a psychologist, but you know what? I'm a human being with a brain and I can certainly tell when a child may have something else, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's my thing. Um, I know. I've hey, trade. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Hey, I actually, I have a little, uh, something to add to that because, you know, with the ADHD and the executive functioning, um, you know, I've only used Dr. Dean's model a few times really just to kind of like use it as a backup method, but he has ADHD and executive function as part of his um, processes. So he does 14 areas that he mm -hmm. looks at for processing areas, and he's got the, the ADHD, um, the executive functioning, and he's added like auditory, not auditory processing, but um, chronological processing and, and a few others besides just the seven Gs that we mm -hmm. normally would test. So I found that really interesting that, that that's part of the topic that you're talking about today. And that has a lot to do with how Dr. Dean goes about his, um, you know, his, his theory or how he does the, the SLD patterns of strength and weaknesses model. He puts those in to his practice and they're, they're, it's actually kind of, um, let's see, let me open up the, the document, but for executive functioning, he recommends you look at that. If you have a child that has, a deficit in reading comprehension, math calculation, math problem solving, written language, and oral expression in listening comprehension. So mm -hmm. that many areas he recommends that you look at executive functioning. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then and, and ADHD is more for math calculation and written language as he, he has that as part of one of his processing areas that you should look at. Yeah. And I mean... You know, I, I think those of us who use, because um, that's in the CSEP model, right? No, that's Dr. Dean's. It's the, uh, what does that stand for? What is it? PPA, uh, processing oh. uh, something analyzer. Um, I just, he came to our district and he spoke. Um, and then I kind of played around with this program. And okay. he believes that there's 14 areas that we should be looking at that, you know, they're linked to the cognitive profile of the student and it's not just your seven G's he adds like I said he adds um, he wants you to look at oral language he wants you to look at executive mm -hmm. functioning 
uh, wants you looking at phonological processing mm-hmm. and he also wants to look at attention. And mm-hmm. so if you have a child that say has a deficit, I don't know, maybe in written language, you know, in written expression, he wants you to look at taking tests that look at attention, executive functioning, auditory, and then it goes on the list, like it, it, whatever it has a mm-hmm. high relationship with or high correlation with that, that processing area, he wants you to test it. So even though there's 14 areas, each academic area that the student may show uh, weaknesses in, he, he'll tell you what areas are highly correlated to that area. And, you know, he's got executive function and tension. And yeah. the only ones that I feel that I'm confident, not even confident, like <laughs> I would even be capable of doing executive function and tension is just giving the parent at the rating scale of the BASC and maybe giving the teacher the BASC. And then it does tell you... Um, if they have poor attention or poor executive functioning, but it's just from rating scales. Right. And is that the only way we can measure executive functioning at this point? I mean, the NEPC2 has some direct uh, testing opportunities for executive functioning. It's used by psychologists a lot. Um, and But, the, I mean, any working memory test, uh, pro, uh, processing speed tests, is, is a, essentially a... a a, a test of some of executive functioning. Um, you know, I, I was, I read a paper, I don't know, a while ago, whenever, um, about how working memory affects GF. And I, you know, um, and I thought, you know, I've seen kids where they have low working memory and low, um, GF, but they're fine in math. And I was like, what's going on with that? You know, if they're low in GF, shouldn't they, you know, poor in math? Um, it's you know their area of of deficit was reading and i was like how is that but they had good ga and i was like what you know you just get these wonky weird um profiles and and we need to kind of i don't know i i I could get in trouble saying this but i wish we kind of get away from giving a test for everything because i don't think you necessarily need to test every little aspect of everything in a child sometimes you can just observe it and write about it uh, but there are tests out there that you can use. The rating scales, like the uh, the brief and the Basque and all that, they are good. They have good validity, reliability. Um, the problem is that we still think of executive functioning as the domain of the the school psychologist or LSSP because, like in my district, I I mentioned, hey, I because I mentioned to my bosses, I was like, hey, I'd like to be able to give the brief or something to kind of look into these executive functioning. They're like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, and you know, so I'm just, there are districts out there that your hands are tied. You know, we only use the DDC model or whatever. And you know, like this Dr. D of testing all these other areas that would not be acceptable in, in some districts, uh, which is unfortunate. But again, I think if we as diagnosticians, have these discussions with the people who make these kinds of decisions um and we start talking about them at conferences and you know all teta and and all these things that maybe they'll start paying attention because i think it is i think it's the the next thing that we need to pay attention to we've been paying attention to dyslexia and now we've had it for a few years but i think executive functioning is coming um i've even heard of districts where the diagnostician does ADHD testing and they don't even have a school psychologist involved. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just think it's, it's going to become a bigger part of our world. 
And um, I think, you know, getting a head start on it might be good. There's tons of great books out there on this stuff. Um, so I'd encourage somebody, just, just go buy a book. Just get a book of executive, you know, about ADHD or executive functioning. Read about it. Just start educating yourself um, and learning about it. And then start asking questions, having com like these, like we're doing right now. Having conversations with people in your district and your your directors of special ed and say, hey, I'm very interested in this. Maybe we could have a somebody like Dr. D come and, you know, talk to us and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think that'd be great. I had a couple of things I, to add before I drop off. Um, one way I get some information about ADHD without, because I was told when I asked if I could give a brief, I was told I was not allowed to give a brief. So I don't know what all the rules are. I know that certain tests have categories of um, education you have to be, like you, you have to be an A, B, C, or D. Yeah. But I, I don't know, like, and I know the, we're a C, but I don't the, know what all, what all, you know, I can get, you know, I don't know if I can give a brief. But. The brief is a level B. Oh. <laughs> and why I'm told I can't give it, I don't understand. No, but I mean it's a level B and there's not it there's it is not um if you if you read the criteria on on, on some of these um like pro ed and, and all these things where A, B, C and D and all that, what the criteria is. You are a person with a, an advanced degree, a master's degree, and you've been specially trained in giving standardized tests. And I mean you can do that. I think people are just scared. Um, to let mm -hmm. us seep into that realm and it maybe they think it's a slippery slope or something like that but um, I think they just they just say no automatically because it it's something that hey the psychs use there's there they do that uh, we're not going to do that but any of us in this room right now can read a manual you can read a manual and you can go to and look up webinars on the brief too and learn how to give it it's not hard I mean, this isn't, it's not rocket science. Um, and I think if we had training, maybe they, maybe instead of saying no, they need to say, you know what, that's a great idea. I'm going to bring in somebody who can train you on that. You know, um, that would be great. Um, I think that would be a great idea. And um, so yeah. how I've been getting around it, because I am one of those people that Trey mentioned, my district does not use psychologists to, te to assess for ADHD um, unless unless maybe you're trying to discern between ADHD and autism or something like that. But, um, or maybe they're already testing somebody with autism and emotional disturbance and they, and you know, they want to look a little deeper into, into attention. They might do it, but pretty much ADHD, if all the concern is this ADHD, there's not a lot of, you know, big behavior problems. Um, there's just mostly learning problems. It does fall on me. And all I can do is observations. And what I've been doing lately is I've been going to the school counselor, just the general ed school counselor and asking her, and I think anybody can do this in their, you know, with their school counselor because school counselors are all trained on doing ADHD screenings. And it is something they commonly do for kids. Um, and so they can, they can give the Vanderbilt and the Connors and that way I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. And then once I get their Vanderbilt and Connors, I include it in my report and send it to the doctor um, so that they have something in there that they want to see. That's something I've been doing, um, mm -hmm. and that's kind of been helping a little bit. And you know but, the Vanderbilt is free online. Like you can right. just you can Google yeah. it and you can print it out. It tells you how to score it. It's very easy. It tells you even how to interpret it. Um, I mean, it's not like I said. It's not rocket science. Um, it just takes a little bit of investigation, um, and you know, 
yes, I think, you know, some, some districts, it depends on where you work, um, whether you can feel like, hey, I'm just going to do it and ask for forgiveness, or do I need to ask permission to do these things? Um, you know, it depends. I, I tend to just do things and they leave me alone. Um, but, you know, I can't go way out there. Um, right. No, I well, I, um, for right. those of you who cannot see the link, it is pinned to the top, but you do have to pull down to refresh in order to see it. It was originally restricted, and I've now changed it to anybody with the link can see um, the document. So you should be able to. I'm still having troubles. Pull down, pull down troubles. to refresh. You should be able to see it. I. I had somebody in the room say that they they were able to see they it. See Beverly, it. Right. Beverly yeah. was able to oh. see it. So okay. try again. Just keep trying to pull down to refresh. And if okay. you still can't get it, you know, email Trey or me, and we'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just put my phone on mute and turn my volume down and let you all continue the conversation. And um, I'll just keep checking back, peeking back, and if um it looks like everybody's dropped off, I'll then I'll end the room. Um, but yeah, just to keep, you know, everybody should, I'll invite everybody up to the stage. This should be a, you know, an everybody conversation. Clubhouse is not um, a webinar. It's a discussion. We need to discuss things in order to learn. And if you have questions, go ahead and ask your questions. If you're working with a kid that you're not sure attention's affecting uh, the, the child's assessment results, you know, talk through it with everybody and you know, we're all, we're all here for you. So, uh, yeah, thank you all for joining and keep, keep the discussion going. I'm, I'm going to let y'all go. Trey, you would really, uh, get a kick out of the Dr. Dean's model though, because you could actually use the executive functioning to tie to that student's, um, academic deficit and mm -hmm. then qualify them in that regard. So I think that's something, um, you would really enjoy just because, you know, you know that a student does struggle with executive functioning and you're, you're trying to, you know, especially when they're a kid with a kind of a wonky pro profile, you've got mm -hmm. this to look at and you've got it to link to that academic area. I think you would really get a kick out of that. And the program actually does produce a report for you and everything. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what to do with this new, you know, how a legal framework has changed up and we no longer have to look at a significant variance um, when uh, it comes to performance or uh, well, achievement. So I'm not sure because he does well, use a significant it, variance. Yeah. And the new rules are, uh, you know, they haven't come out with the guidance, the official guidance. People are just guessing about what it all means. And I think a lot of districts are waiting to hear from TA before they, you know, officially make some policy changes. Uh, but I have a feeling that, you know, XBAS may be weakening a little bit and on its way out. I think people are going to have to find other methods and other ways of finding some strengths and weaknesses there. Um, but, you know, when, when, when you get kids who are testing and, and you know how they get a, a one, one, and then they get a few zeros. And then right before you get that, that ceiling, they get another one. And then you have to keep going and then they get three more wrong and then they get another one. And like, yeah, what, how did, how does that, okay. I had, I had one just like that and I can't figure out why. That, it, about it. Think, think, think through this. So, so cognitive tests and even achievement tests are the same way. They are designed to start out at a younger cognitive 
ability and they move as you go down the page you get older and older and older and older as you move down the page right it's very sequential you know by this age they should be able to think this way and all that and so they're they're very carefully designed and so when you get kids who have ones and zero you know ones and then a lot of zeros and then another one and a lot of zeros and what you have to keep going keep going that's a kid with some executive functioning problems because they're they may not be paying attention to the ones who are getting zeros on you know like if 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 you can do just picture a test i'm going to pick a test i don't know on the whisk uh matrix reasoning okay um you know if they can do number one two three four five six seven eight nine ten they should be able to do number 11 and 12. um but let's say they miss number 11 and 12 but they get 13 14 15 seen right it's like something happened on 11 and 12. they weren't focused they didn't pay attention they didn't you know and i think we missed that there's also the case where you have to do a lot of cross battery you know you get those kids that you can never get any cohesive scores on anything and you're just like oh my gosh what do i do um those are the kids with executive functioning problems um you know and or, or i say that i mean i can't say that if for definite but that is something to look into and i think if you gave a brief if you gave a vanderbilt if you gave a something other that looks at executive functioning i think you would find a problem in that area and i think you could correlate it to your cognitive tests and um I just think it needs to be thought of more carefully. And I think uh, we're so, we've been so focused on CSEP and, and DD, you know, XPASS and putting in my scores and getting that triangle and, and all that. We've been so focused on that that we haven't bothered to learn about the other half of your brain. You know, I mean, executive functioning takes up the first quarter of your brain right behind your forehead. And I think we forget about that. That's, it's sad. You know, I almost wonder what the point is in all these different models. If we're just looking at a pattern of strengths and weaknesses and we're looking for that cognitive area uh, that's going to link high quality achievement area, why don't just roll that Yeah, you're cutting out for me, you're cutting out a little bit. I, don't, I hope everybody can still hear me. Um, oh, sorry. We're driving. I, so, did you hear what I said, I'm, though? Like, why are we even bothering? with uh, well i mean that's what we had right that's that's we were as diagnosticians we grad we try to grasp onto something out there that's research-based that that we can use to help identify these conditions right and that's what was out there and and that's what districts started latching onto and, and all of that I, I i there is a whole world out there of research that says that the CHC theory is not an appropriate theory of intelligence and it's not an appropriate way to identify LD. There are other theories of intelligence out there, folks. Um, it's a huge world. And I think when we go through our, our um, master's degree programs, we kind of, they kind of focus us on cross battery and CSEP and whatever, because that's what Texas uses a lot, right? But there is a whole, there's the PASS theory and the PKIK theory and the, I mean, the Luria and all this other things out there. And a lot of research that says that, um, that using these models, you, it's literally like flipping a coin as to whether a kid qualifies or not. And I, I kind of have felt that my entire career as a diagnostician. Like if I'm looking at, at the XBAS 
and I see an 88 for GC, I could flip that as a strength or a weakness. And I could make that either way. And that would determine whether the kid qualifies or not. Like literally the click of a button could determine a child's life. And I think that's a little bit much um, and a little bit too much responsibility. And I think there's other things out there that we need to be looking at. And I, I also feel that a slow processor, I mean, a slow learner is really, I mean, if they came this far to our table to be evaluated, I feel like it is my duty to like really dig deep and try to figure out exactly what is causing this child to perform so, so poorly. And it, it, you know, I don't know if I believe in the uh, slow learner profile anymore. I feel like we just leave them out in the battlefield if we just don't do anything with them. So I don't know. I'm, I'm with well, you. It, it's, it's a big responsibility. Well, and do you know where the idea of pattern of strengths and weaknesses came from? I mean, do you know how it developed? Actually, I only knew because Nazi told me it was because they looked at it with, with people with mental health issues, um, people with mental illness. They had a pattern of strengths and weaknesses. So they went ahead and decided to use that for people with learning disabilities. Exactly. exactly. And so what where it all started was was from like Wexler and all that in the 1930s and 40s when they're coming up with all these tests to try to test people with mental disorders, to try to figure out what mental disorder they have, right? And so they called it a disorder because your brain is disordered, right? There's, there's a disorder going on in your mind. And if you think about the word disorder, that means that there's some things that are good and some things that are bad, right? Some things that are working, some things that are not, okay? And so that morphed into a strength and a weakness. And as this, the 50s and 60s rolled on and people started to try to di make these diagnoses, um, they kind of grasped onto that idea of a strength and weakness. And But there's no research behind it. There is absolutely no research out there done when this was when all of this was being developed that, that says this is what a learning disability is. Uh, it was just whatever, whoever came up with that, that was their idea. And I think it came from the fact that people thought, well, that we have these relatively intelligent people who just aren't doing well in school. And I think that's where the, you got to have an average cognitive ability and some weaknesses, you know, but I, but I agree with you as, as I'm doing this and I'm going along more and more in my career. I'm thinking, why do we have to have an average of cognitive ability to have a disability in learning? You know, if you look at the federal definition, um, it, it says a deficit in one or more psychological process. It doesn't say a deficit in one, two, or three. It says one or more. So that implies that you have to have at least one, but it doesn't say that you can't have all of them. As long as you're not ID, I feel like you could probably be LD. And if so, if, they, if that's not the case, then we need to change or we need to add a new condition. We need to add general learning difficulty or something like that. Um, that is that is so fascinating. I didn't even think about that. Well, they don't say that you can have all of them. You're right. Right, because because if you intelligence is, if you think of your your IQ as a, as a line, okay, everybody's IQ would fall on that line, right? And at what point do we have that cut that says, yes, you have an average of cognitive ability or no, you don't. 
And, and at what point is that? And what happens to those people who are right there at that cut point? Um, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of kids out there that are right at that, that cut point, so to speak. And although we say we don't use cut points, we really do. I mean, if you use a discrepancy model of any kind, you're using a cut point. Um, and yes, you're supposed to gather multiple sources of data, but do we really? I mean, do we really? Or do we, we heavily rely on that discrepancy model? And I think that's why TEA has changed the rules. I think they're getting so much pressure from parents and, and other you know people to identify more kids for special ed. They, they want our population to grow because they want it, that corrective action plan to look like we're doing something. So this and is that doing it is to take away that discrepancy and hopefully that we would identify more kids. And, and, and that's why I think they're, they're, I don't know, I think CSEP is going to become more of the, the model of choice because it doesn't say you need a significant variance. They do just want you to look at right now the seven area, seven processing areas, but then also have a cognitive weakness that links to that achievement weakness. Mm -hmm. And they just, they, they don't really, they're not picky about the uh, average IQ either. If, if, if it looks adequate, you know, they're, they're very supportive of a IQ of 83. Cause if you have an achievement area and say basic reading skills of 65, I mean, that's, that's showing there's some, there's some, some discrepancy and something going on, but they don't want you to, you know, pinpoint the significant variance, I think, anymore. And they're completely fine with that. They, they, I think they struggled a lot for people to look at the publisher's manual and try to figure out how to read the reports and how to d distinguish mm -hmm. what was a significant variance and what wasn't. So this is probably even more of a game changer for them. Yeah. And if you look at the definition of dyslexia, you know, like we have to deal with the dyslexia handbook. The dyslexia handbook says adequate intelligence. Well, what does adequate mean? Well, to me, adequate means adequate enough intelligence to be able to learn to read. That's what that means to me. And a person with a 70 IQ can learn to read. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's you know, it, it's, I don't know. It, it's hard to wrap our, our brains around it, but um, I'm glad we're having these conversations because, and, and I'm glad I'm knowing, I'm not the only one. Like, it's nice to know there's other people. I know nobody else is talking except you and me, but um, I'm, I'm hoping that there are other people who feel the same way out there um, because it, you know, it, it does weigh well, on our mind being Q a child. And we know for a fact that, you know, they, they, there is a, a man out there named David Kilpatrick. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he's I'm obsessed with him. Love yeah, him. <laughs> he is, um, he's hinted in some of his most recent like webinars and stuff um, where he has hinted that he's, he's trying to come up with a new model for LD identification. And it's, I think it goes along a little bit with CSEP in that he wants us to test achievement. Okay. And we know that you need certain cognitive skills to learn to read, right? So you test achievement and if they're low in that achievement area, then you test only those cognitive skills that go along with that. And then you can identify them as LD, right? Um, regardless of their IQ. Um, now you, you would give IQ to rule out ID, right? Cause you have to rule that out. I mean, that's just, that's not, I don't think that's going away, but I think it would capture more of those kids that kind of are falling through the cracks. And again, 
it's a it's a 50 50 coin flip when you use these discrepancy models because you know it, it really depends on the level of confidence and education of the assessor as to whether these kids are qualifying or not you know you get a first year diagnostician I mean, they're completely overwhelmed with everything. You know, you add in, you know, making these life-altering decisions. It's so tough. It's tough. It, we have a hard job. Um, and I mentor new diags all the time, and uh, th that's their main thing. I try to teach them XBAS, and, you know, it's it's hard. Um, and I don't feel comfortable using it. So I have a student right now that I'm testing. He's a, a homeschooler. And... If I put him in the XBAS, he would he get he gets a yes 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 on that triangle on the last page, right? Except he has too many cognitive weaknesses. So his if you can picture it, I don't know uh, the FCC is a .33. So he doesn't. It's saying that he doesn't have an overall average ability. However, when I tested him, you would never know that he has a .33 FCC. Like he was completely conversational with me and all that. But then guess what I learned. He's ADHD too. I didn't know that. Nobody pointed that out to me. No one said anything until I called the mom and I asked and she says, oh, by the way, he's been diagnosed with ADHD and yada, yada, yada. And he's on medication to boot and all this. I'm like, hmm, that changes it. And I'm like, I'm going to qualify this child with SLD um, because I can see some strengths in him. And even though they're not very many, they're there. And I know that the, uh, the attention and focus and the ADHD is impacting some of the results of my tests, right? But I can see the strengths in other areas, right? His math is fine. He just can't read at all, you know? And how would a kid with a quote unquote an FCC of a 0.33 be able to do math in their head? Like, it doesn't make sense. So I guess, you know, one of the things you can think of is if it doesn't make sense, it's probably not right. That's what Judge Judy says. If it doesn't make sense, it's probably not the truth. It's probably not right. We so, had um, Gail Sheramine come to one of our did one of our trains for you know with dyslexia now being uh, part of our evaluation and trying to um, incorporate that with the, the DDC model. And she's a big proponent of cross battery. And mm -hmm. she basically said, "Don't look at the unexpectedness or the significant variance in the triangle anymore." And and then so part of me is like, "Well." Why even use it? Why are we, if we're just looking at a profile, a kiddo with a dyslexia profile, we know that those, you know, whatever, if it's their processing or their, their phonological processing or their orthographic processing is causing their, their reading deficit. And then why even bother plugging those into the computer and then being told, and you know that the child has at least an adequate, not average, but an adequate uh, ability to learn how to read that would meet the criteria for dyslexia. So it, yeah. she was just basically telling us, well, don't look at that. It doesn't have to say yes anymore. And I was like, well, what's the point of using Well, and, and that's why I think, I, I think that's the way, I think that's what's going to happen. I think by this time next year, we probably won't even be using XPass anymore. I think we're just going to be looking for a pattern of strengths and weaknesses. Like, I, like just if you got a couple of strengths, and you've got some other information to say that this child's got some strengths here and there. I think they're going to be identified. And, and uh, I think we're moving away from that. And that might be scaring some of the, the people who are making money off of all of this stuff. Um, but, you know, that's just the way it goes. Does anybody else uh, want to speak before we start, um, you know, closing now? I know a lot of you have not gone up here and spoken before, but please feel free to. Anybody? 
Just let me know. You can raise your hand. Nobody? Well, we got some shy audience. Um, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but um, we're working on that, Trey. We're going to get people to come <laughs> to the, to the uh, platform and talk one day. I have a feeling a lot of people are logging out at this point, but... Um, yeah, it's getting kind of late. It's Yeah, but hey, it was really yeah, fascinating talking reports. to you. I've, I've watched <laughs> your videos, and I've really been uh, really impressed with your um, self-taught, you know, knowledge. And I'm, I'm in the same boat. I take on a, uh, an area, and I just kind of just dive into it, so... Um, do there's too much to learn. You you just take one thing and learn all you can. And exactly. I their video soon. I I had to stop making videos because of COVID and all of that. And my whole family, mm -hmm. it was just turned into a nightmare. And and so now we're getting back into the swing. I think I might try to make another video for executive functioning. So that'd be awesome. We'll we'll see. I'm trying to get. You know, I'd like to go um, talk at at uh, Humed or or whatever if people want to i'm just i'm trying to get the word i'm trying to get the conversation going um you know it, we're never going to advance our field if we don't talk about these things right right um, yeah and i think you, you need to look into dr dean's model because you're going to love that attention executive function he puts into an, an area and how you can qualify a kid for sld it's pretty pretty cool and he he takes out gc he doesn't want anybody to even bother with crystallized knowledge because he looks uh, at that as an achievement area. So well, no, that comes from the past there. That's Luria's model of intelligence. Is they they don't uh, use that. Yeah, they not like using that um, because I mean, if you think about it, it is kind of you know, it, to me, GC is more of it's acquired knowledge, right? And <laughs> um, it it's not a process. Now, listening comprehension, you know, oral expression, like language process, but knowing that something is a pagoda. Or knowing that some, you know, you know, what do people usually do with an oboe? Um, that is not a cognitive process. <laughs> so I, yes, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, but uh, um, I'm trying to figure out what so we'll do for our how, next. How, how do you spell, is it, Doctor? What, Doctor D? Doctor Dean, D E H N. He looks at using 14 um, cognitive processing areas. You only test the areas that the child has. A deficit in, and you know, in their academic area, which sometimes we get kids with all sorts of academic concerns. So that, I mean, to me, it doesn't really shorten the amount of work um, you do. It's pretty much, um, it's kind of another cross-battery approach because you you can't get all these fourteen, or even if you had to assess say nine or, or seven of them, you can't get them all from one battery. And mm -hmm. uh, but he tells you what what batteries you can use to assess that area and. You don't have to have necessarily cohesiveness. He, he has a rule of if it's 22 or more from the other score, then you can you can test further. But if it's within 22 standard score points, he says it's fine. So I, th I think that part's kind of cool. You don't have to go further. You kind of make, you know, it does muddy the waters, I think, in a sense. But um, he doesn't believe it too much in that cohesiveness. And he just once you test in the areas that are highly correlated to that academic area. So you're not wasting your time doing visual processing when it's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, a language disorder. So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of okay. cool. That sounds cool. All right. I'll look into Anyways. That. Well, I guess we'll sign off. Are you guys, are you good to go? We'll think of a topic for next week. I hope maybe you'll join again because you are yeah. so fun to listen to. 
<laughs> I'd, I'd love to join y'all again. I, I, I have had fun tonight. It was, it was great. Thank you. Good. Good. Well, well, Nazi's the, uh, the in charge of this. I'm just like the, the sidekick. So I, I help her when I can. So, <laughs> all right, Trey, well, we'll sign off and it was so nice talking to you and we'll, we'll think of another topic for the following week. Okay. Y'all take care. Bye. All right. Everybody. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.